Hey up guys, I'm Mason, the Blind Wrestling Fan, and this is the WITD Weekly Podcast number 10. If you enjoy this episode, you know what to do. Let's start off talking about Smackdown. It's official, just like we knew it was going to be. Kevin Owens is set to face Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship at TLC in a TLC match. Smackdown opened with Reigns being interviewed by Kayla Braxton. She asks him if he's afraid of Owens and he basically tells her no. She asks him if he's manipulating Jey Uso and he basically tells her no. Owens himself comes out, talks on trash and challenges Reigns and Uso to a tag match. And after weeks and weeks of stepping out of line, Jey Uso just will not learn his lesson. You'd think at this point, that he'd have just learnt to keep his damn mouth shut, but no, he gets aggro, he tells Owens that him and Reigns run the show and accepts the tag match. Owens challenges Reigns to that match at TLC, which Reigns accepts, and Owens also says that they could throw down right here, right now, but Reigns tells him that there's a woman in the ring and he's not a savage. Jay ends up apologising to Reigns, saying that he just got carried away, and Reigns tells him that there's consequences for everything that he does. It turns out that those consequences are that Jay is going to basically have to go it alone. He ends up in what is essentially a handicap match against Owens and his tag partner, Otis. Reigns takes his sweet, sweet time coming down to join his cousin, and when he eventually does, he absolutely destroys Otis with a set of steel steps. So now the tie turns, it's Owens that's won down, but he's too focused on Reigns, and he ends up getting hit with a super kick by Jey Uso, who goes up top, ready to deliver the splash, but Reigns tells him to get down and tag out, because this is Roman's show, and he's going to be the one to finish it. Jay just hesitates a little bit too long though and Owens ends up hitting a stunner. Reigns gets in, locks Owens in the guillotine which causes the disqualification and then Reigns just batters Owens with a chair just like he wiped out Otis with the steps. It's his show, he's not going to take the disrespect that Kevin Owens has been showing him and he screams over and over again that he has to keep repeating himself. I think that this message was just as much for Jay as it was for Owens. Honestly, I'm loving this fired up version of Kevin Owens. I think it's great that he's just sick of Roman's BS and he wants to shut his mouth. He just wants to fight him so bad and it's doing a lot of work to get me heavily invested in the Kevin Owens character, which isn't something that I've ever really said before, or at least not for a long time. I can't wait for this TLC match. I think that it'll almost definitely end up being one of the best match on the card. And there's so much potential for shenanigans here. Jay could get involved with Roman wiping out Otis this week. He could end up getting involved. I have no idea when Jimmy is due back. So at this point, I feel like every pay-per-view match, I'm just waiting. Just waiting for Jimmy to come back and complete that stable and wreck everyone it's gonna be a damn entertaining match there's gonna be mayhem and chaos everywhere and i'm just really really looking forward to it another match that's now official is sasha banks defending her smackdown women's championship against carmella 
Michael Cole has an interview with the pair of them, and mate, this reinforces the reasons why I hate Sasha Banks as a character. Sasha talks about the fact that she's known Carmella for a long time, dating back to the days when they were both training in the Performance Center. She says she has to give Carmella props. She is a former SmackDown Women's Champion, the winner of the first Women's Money in the Bank match, which Carmella cuts in and says that she's actually the winner of the first two. Sasha points out that Carmella has always had help, first from the guy with no chin and then from R-Truth, and the reason that they've never gone one-on-one -on -one is because Carmella isn't in Sasha's league, and she says it in the most sickly sweet patronising voice that just drives me up the wall and boils my blood. So when Carmella fires up and gets aggro and cuts a really good promo, I get behind her. Carmella says that Sasha is just jealous. Being a WWE superstar was Sasha's childhood dream. She poured her blood, sweat and tears, her soul, into becoming a WWE superstar. But Carmella decided on a whim one day to march into the performance center and everything came easily to her. Sasha only sees the girl that is every man's desire, that's irresistible. And that is what's going to make it so much more embarrassing when she beats Sasha for that challenge. Championship. And Sasha says that the only thing that's embarrassing is that Carmella thinks that she stands a chance. I thought Carmella's delivery here was fantastic. She's always been awesome on the mic and I feel like she's only got better since she came back. And not only that, the content of the promo was actually pretty good too. I love her pointing out that this was Sasha's dream, whereas everything comes easily to Carmella. The fact that Sasha isn't taking her seriously at all is absolutely infuriating. Even though I can't see Sasha's face, I still know that she's got a smug little face that I just want to see Carmella smash in. Even though Sasha is supposed to be the good guy in this and I know that Carmella's not going to win, I wish she would so bad just so she can teach Sasha some humility. The feud between Bianca Belair and Bailey continues. Bailey goes one-on-one -on -one in a match with Natalia. Bianca Belair is on commentary, which Bailey is well distracted by. So distracted, in fact, that Natalia ends up locking in the sharpshooter and Bailey taps out. Bailey is infuriated backstage and she marches up to Belair to demand to know who she thinks she is getting involved in a match like that. Belair is about to answer, about to deliver a catchphrase, but Bailey cuts her off. She tells her that she is in fact the BEST of SmackDown and says that she knows that she's Bianca's role model. Bianca talks some pretty lame trash about how Bailey looks, and then Bailey tells her to go back to wherever she came from. Raw, NXT, she doesn't care. Bianca wants to throw down right then and there but Bailey rightfully so points out that she's just been in a match she's just taken the sharpshooter and tells Bianca to get lost I'm not sure what I think of this feud to be honest I really want Bianca to do well on Smackdown in terms of her matches I always enjoy them but her character work just never scratches that itch for me in terms of the trash talk that she offered against Bailey 
I wasn't a fan of it at all. It was just some lame stuff about Bailey's appearance, and I feel like she could have offered something with a bit more substance. In terms of the actual feud, I feel like the motivation for them going against each other is super thin, and I'd really like Natalia to just get added into it so it can be a triple threat because they've both not been taken as seriously, they've both been focused on each other, and I'd like to see her just knock their heads together and say, Oi! I'm a veteran, take me seriously, because in terms of Bianca and Bailey one-on-one, I'm just not that into it. After the confusing events of last week where Baron Corbin got absolutely screwed, he got himself some backup this week in the form of Steve Cutler and Wesley Blake, two guys that I legit forgot existed. I'm not even saying it because they were in The Forgotten Sons, it's just been so long since they've been on TV that I forgot that they were even thing. You know what though, I am glad that they're back. It wasn't fair that the heat that Jackson Riker got on himself for being a dick on Twitter carried over to them and it got them taken off TV. So I'm glad that they're back now, they've got a new stable and they're doing the right thing, backing up Baron Corbin on his crusade for revenge against the cowardly Mysterios. Murphy and Corbin have a match. The Mysterios are at ringside, but they're not getting involved because Wesley Blake and Stephen Cutler are there to make sure that they don't do anything. And the Mysterios don't want anything to do with them, they're terrified. And eventually, Blake and Cutler end up attacking the Mysterios, which distracts Murphy and Corbin gets a win with the end of days. Moving on to Raw, the first thing I want to talk about is Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton as their saga continues. Orton cuts a promo where he says that he smashed his moral compass years ago and there's no boundary that he's not willing to cross. When his time comes he's going to look the devil square in the eyes and let him know that the meanest son of a bitch on the earth has arrived, but until then he's just going to knock on the funhouse door waiting to see who will answer. Funhouse Bray appears on the Tron. He says that Alexa would usually be with him, but since Randy was so mean to her last week, Randy's just going to have to deal with Bray. Randy tells Bray that he's the last person that he should be playing games with, and this just triggers something in Bray's mind, and game show host mode is enabled. Bray starts some sort of quiz show, which I'm sure is riffing on one particular show, but I'm not actually sure which one it is. He asks the Funhouse members, how should Randy Orton be punished? The prizes that are on the line are a brand new Crucix, which is a nice reference to the last few they had, because the Crucix is the thing that Randy used to vanquish Sister Abigail, and the other prize is the rotting carcass of Friendship Frog. That's disgusting. The Funhouse characters take it in turns answering the question, and they all get it wrong, especially Rambling Rabbit, who says that The Fiend and Orton should just sit down and calmly discuss their feelings. Bray is horrified by this answer, and he tells Rambling Rabbit that he's sick and revolting, which I found pretty amusing. He says unfortunately for Randy, The Fiend always has the right answers. Randy says that he knows that he's going to face The Fiend at TLC, but tonight he wants a match with the Funhouse version of Bray, which Bray accepts. So they have the match and everything's pretty normal, until the end where Bray goes to the sister Abigail, Randy thumbs him in the eye, ends up going for the draping DDT, the lights go down, he hits the RKO, goes for the cover, the lights go down again, and when they come back up, it's The Fiend there, 
not Funhouse Bray, and The Fiend lays Orton out. Not that I would have known this, because commentary didn't make it clear at all, thank god for recaps. I quite liked all of this, the game show stuff was entertaining and weird just like it's supposed to be, and I like the mind games that are going on, the finish was pretty cool. Again, commentary didn't make it clear, so it was recaps that told me about it, but in terms of actual story beats, I think that that is a pretty cool one. It also shows that The Fiend can appear at any time, and I do like that because it plays up the supernatural nature of The Fiend, because personally I'm not a big fan of him being humanised like he seems to have been recently. So all in all I thought that this was pretty good but I'm still struggling to get into it because I'm just afraid that Orton's going to come out on top. I tell you what, I quite enjoyed the stuff with Drew McIntyre and Sheamus this week. AJ, Miz and Morrison continue to try and drive a wedge between them. Miz and Morrison do some pretty lame impressions of Sheamus and they say that they've got him outnumbered because AJ's there. Sheamus says that... I tell you what, I quite enjoyed the dynamic between Drew McIntyre and Sheamus this week. They were in a handicap match against AJ, Miz and Morrison. The finish of which saw AJ hit a cheap shot unseen by the ref. Sheamus tagging himself in, hitting a bro kick on the Miz, going for one on Morrison, missing and hitting Drew instead. Backstage, he's asked about it. Was it intentional? He says no, but he also knows what's going to happen now. Drew's going to come backstage looking to kick his ass, and Sheamus is going to try and kick Drew's ass. Drew comes back, says, you know what's about to happen, don't you? And they both end up fighting. They're brawling. Everyone's trying to pull them apart. Pat Buck tries to pull them apart, and they both turn their attentions on him. Instead, Sheamus is like, is this guy serious? And then they both just start beating him up instead. I really like that Drew and Sheamus' friendship is being presented like this. They can have a fight, they can have a scrap, but in the end they're going to go down the pub and they're going to have a pint and put it behind them. It's just a really good, natural way for them to do it. And they've got so much chemistry and it seems so real, probably because it is. And I just like it. There's not too much more to say about it than that. I like Sheamus in this role. I'm glad that he's a face. And I really hope that they don't go with him turning on Drew. Because I'd prefer those two to be a tag team over the alternative. When it comes to the Women's Tag Team Championships, I swing back and forth and I really don't know what to think. This week we got Asuka vs Shayna one on one, a pay-per-view main event level matchup that gets given away on a random episode of Raw, yet hardly any time and the main focus is on the tag team storyline, which makes sense because that's the motivation for it, but at the same time it just wastes this opportunity to have Asuka and Shayna go one-on-one -on -one in a blood feud. Those two have so much potential. They are two of the most dominant women in NXT history. Asuka, the undefeated NXT Women's Champion. Shayna, the two-time longest reigning NXT Women's Champion. It just builds itself and then the fact that it just gets given away and has hardly any focus on it is just a shame. Even in the short amount of time that they have, you can see the shades of how good it could be as they go back and forth battering each other, trying to tap each other out. 
In the end, Naya ends up bulldozing Lana on the outside. She tries to put her through the announce table, but Lana manages to avoid that and sends Naya into the announce table instead. Shayna's distracted and mad and Asuka takes advantage and pins Shayna. We get a bit backstage where Lana is freaking out. She's set to have a match with Naya next week and she's telling Asuka she just can't do it. She's terrified. She says she knows that as a team they're good and they stand a chance of winning the Women's Tag Team Championships but she knows that she can't beat Naya. Asuka tells her to repeat that she believes in herself. She can beat Naya. They will win the Tag Team Championships. Lana does so, she starts to get hyped up, and then, not that I would have known it, but recaps, she turns around and Naya's there, she shakes her head and just intimidates Lana, and all of her confidence goes away. This is one of those occasions, again, where I just really wish that we had audio description, because that's not something that the commentary are going to pick up on, and I just wouldn't have even known that it would have happened if it wasn't for listening to recaps. But yeah, I like Lana being afraid, not having the confidence and Asuka needing to try and give it to her and Asuka building her up. I really like that sort of stuff, but Shayna losing twice in a row, losing to Lana, losing to Asuka, Asuka and Shayna being given away. You just, you would never know that Shayna had that dominant Elimination Chamber performance right now and it's just I'm really confused because I don't know how I feel about this storyline on one hand I quite like it and there's parts that I hate and then there's parts that I really do not like at all moving on to NXT where the Prince is back NXT champion Finn Balor makes his return and everyone's after him already he comes out and he says that some people love him, some people hate him, but if anyone wants to get to know him better, they should meet him in the ring. This brings out Pete Dunne, who says that they're cut from the same cloth. They both travelled overseas to make a name for themselves, and it's time that they met one on one. O'Reilly comes out and he says that Pete might be tough, but the Undisputed Era were the ones that were victorious at war games, and besides, he's the one that broke Finn's jaw in the first place. He made Finn need to eat through a straw for months, and they've got unfinished business. Damien Priest is the last one out, and he says that him versus Bella is a marquee matchup that everyone wants to see. Then they all start going back and forth. Pete says that Priest is the guy that couldn't even beat Leon Ruff. Priest says that Pete is the guy that gets paid to keep his mouth shut by Pat McAfee. O'Reilly says that considering that Priest gets paid to win matches, he doesn't do that that much. Pete says that O'Reilly should be in the hospital visiting Bobby Fish, and O'Reilly mocks Pete's British accent in just the wrong accent to be honest if he'd have been doing it against Danny Birch it might have been a bit more accurate but considering that Pete doesn't have that type of British accent I just rolled my eyes at it at this point Finn decides that he can't be arsed with this at all and he just leaves Priest is like where are you going and Finn says that Regal will be the one that decides who he faces as he's trying to leave though Karrion Cross's music hits Scarlet comes out and Finn tells her that when Karrion Cross is ready, Finn's ready. Priest makes fun of Karrion Cross and says 
that he's waiting in the car while Scarlet comes and handles his business. And if Cross wants a fight, then he should just step to Priest like a man. He probably regrets this because later in the night, Carrying Cross attacks him and power bombs him through the stage, which I wouldn't know because Vic Joseph just screams, No! It's nice to have Fenn back. I was worried that he was going to end up needing to relinquish the championship, but he didn't. He's back, and everyone's instantly stepping up. The NXT championship scene seems packed and excited straight away. Pete Dunne would be an amazing challenger for Balor, and I know that if they end up having a match, it'll be one of my favourites of the year. Kyle O'Reilly, his match with Balor earlier this year, is one of my favourite one-on-one matches of this year, and I'd be more than happy to see a repeat of that. Damian Priest is probably the least appealing, but even then I still think that they'd have a damn good match. As for Karrion Cross, it's great that he's back. It was a really cool way to come back. An impactful return, just powerbombing Priest through the stage, just says, I'm back and I'm coming for Balor. So he's probably gonna be the first one to get a shot, but I'd be okay with any of these guys having a shot. And I'm looking forward to the inevitable triple threat or fatal four way that we'll probably get that'll be put together by Regal. The Garganos are as smug and obnoxious as you would expect them to be after both picking up victories at war games. They do some gloating, but unfortunately, a victory isn't the only thing that Candice picked up. She has a broken arm, which sucks, man. War games might have been an absolutely amazing match, but it's worth remembering as fans sometimes that those crazy, chaotic spectacles that they put on put their bodies at risk big time for our entertainment so we should really appreciate them because these sort of things suck. Luckily we're not in a situation where Candice was going for the women's championship and now she can't. She's got a faction so Indy Hartwell can do the hard work while she sits back and does some heel tactics and some might work and just takes the time to heal her arm which hopefully shouldn't take too long. After doing some gloating, they reveal that the combination of the Garganos, Indy Hartwell and Austin Theory are known as The Way, which makes sense because they've been banging on about the Gargano Way for months now. They say that if you're not in The Way, then you better stay out of our way. I quite like it, I think it'll take a little bit to grow on me, but in a couple of months I think I'll quite enjoy it. I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with this team. Will Austin Theory pick up a championship? Will he get a bit of a push or is he just going to be Johnny's lackey and the same with Candice? They talk about how they are the future though and I'm just quite excited for it. There's potential here. Damien Priest comes out and he asks Austin Theory if he's still got the lead pipe because he's going to shove it up his ass and that's when Karrion Cross comes out and does the powerbomb through the stage which is probably good for Johnny because Priest and Leon Roth were supposed to have a tag team match against Johnny and Austin Theory next week so now Leon Roth has no partner except he does because Kushida offers to be Leon Roth's partner so next week we get Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory versus Leon Roth and Kushida which should be a pretty entertaining match if you ask me 
the rise of Raquel Gonzalez also continues as she faces Ember Moon this week. Actually, the whole of the women's division is sort of reset and I really like what's going on. We get an interview with Tony Storm where she says that she made it crystal clear when she arrived in NXT that all she wanted was the NXT Women's Championship, but all she's heard about is Ember Moon. She's mad that Moon stole her thunder, but she's still going to be the next Women's Champion. Io Shirai turns up and she says that War Games is over and now the championship is her only problem. She's got no problem with Tony Storm, she just doesn't like her. And she attacks Tony and they have a nice brawl. Ember comes in and attacks Tony, exacting some revenge for when Tony attacked her a few weeks back. In the main event, we get Ember Moon versus Raquel Gonzalez, and Moon just really struggles. She can't seem to do anything that keeps Gonzalez off her feet for long. She utilizes her speed, but every now and again, Raquel Gonzalez hits a power move and manages to get back on top. At one point, she even slams Moon face first into the ring post. In the end, though, she just manages to overpower Moon and she gets the single arm powerbomb to pick up the win. Then Tony Storm comes to attack Ember Moon and Rhea Ripley comes out to even the score and ends up having a stare down with Raquel Gonzalez. It seems pretty clear that we're going to get Raquel Gonzalez versus Io Shirai on that New Year's Evil episode that they've been hyping up and I think it's going to be a damn good match. In fact, with Raquel Gonzalez looking so dominant right now, using that one-armed powerbomb to just smash Io through a ladder, now putting Ember Moon down with it, if she can get through Rhea Ripley and do the same thing to her, then I think that she might actually be on a good path to have a bit of a run with the NXT Women's Championship. So it's going to be a really interesting match. After his victory over Timothy Thatcher at TakeOver War Games, Tommaso Ciampa turns his attention to Cameron Grimes. I'm not sure why. He's just trying to take out the weaker people. I don't know. It really didn't make much sense to me, to be honest. But he talks some trash about Cameron Grimes, basically making him out to be a yappy dog, saying that he's got 10 men syndrome. He doesn't say it like that, because those are my words. But he essentially says that he's loud, obnoxious and confident and people that are like that are often like that to hide their insecurities. So we get a match between Champa and Grimes with Thatcher sitting ringside. They have a nice hard hitting match going back and forth beating the crap out of each other. Tyler Russ comes out and he tries to distract Champa and go after him but it doesn't really work. In the end Champa ends up hitting Willow's Bell and picks up the win over Grimes and that's about it. It seems that things aren't finished between Thatcher and Champa which I cannot complain about because that match at War Games was bloody great. I've seen a lot of people say that they think that this is leading to them actually teaming up at the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classics which could be a pretty interesting way to go, but I wouldn't mind if it's just a straight up feud. I don't know why he went after Cameron Grimes, it really didn't make any sense, but it was just a way to carry on that feud and have Thatcher try and play mind games with him, so I don't mind that much. The last thing that I wanted to talk about was WrestleVotes reporting what is 
supposedly the early ideas for the WrestleMania card. The matches that are being considered right now are Edge versus Orton, Reigns versus Goldberg, and Drew McIntyre versus Lesnar and Keith Lee. So when it comes to Edge versus Orton, that's not surprising. Everyone is pretty sure that that's been the case for a while. Everyone's just been assuming that was going to be the case. Edge has been rumoured as one of the potential people to win the Royal Rumble. Whether or not you want that to happen is a matter of taste, I think. But it's not a surprising matchup. Reigns versus Goldberg, I don't need to tell you that I have no interest in this. I don't think many people do. Most people seem to want Reigns versus The Rock, which is a good matchup, especially considering the family-based storyline, but I'd rather see it at some point when we've got a full packed stadium so we can have that fan interaction. I'm not sure I want to see it in the current COVID climate, but Reigns versus Goldberg is not something that interests me at all, especially when we've got people like Big E and Daniel Bryan as other potential opponents. As for Drew, Lesnar and Keith Lee, I just, I don't even know where to start with that. Take Lesnar out of that and I think it'd be a damn good match, but I just don't see why Lesnar needs to be in there. He's just not someone that interests me at all. I get that some people think he's really good, but he's just not someone that appeals to me. So th those three matches are not, they're not promising. That's not a promising Mania card for me. Well, that's it for this week, guys. If you've got anything to say, whether it's any thoughts on this week's topics, ideas for future episodes, or pretty much just anything you want to say, drop them in the comments section, or if you're listening in the audio realm, you can send them to wrestlingindhedark at gmail.com. I'll see you next time, but until then, take care, I'm off, and you should have a good one.